How are you guys today? Good, good, good. Um, so, started a new series called Life Hacks. And today we're going to be a uh, series based on, on the book of James. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a life hack that is that is uh, difficult for us, uh, for I think for, for everyone, but we're going to talk about favoritism today. One of the things about the Christian life, the journey, is that um, I think that we all agree that the God part makes a lot of sense. Like, once you understand that God is there, he exists, and he loves us, it's hard to say no to wanting that relationship. The part that we have more difficulty with is the dealing with people part of the being in Christian community. And we're going to read in the book of James, starting in chapter 2, I mean, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters... As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, never think some people are more important than others. Suppose someone comes into your church meeting wearing nice clothes and a gold ring, and at the same time, a poor person comes in wearing old, dirty clothes. You show special attention to the one wearing nice clothes and say, please sit here in this good seat. But you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. What are you doing? You're making some people more important than others. And with evil thoughts, you are deciding that one person is better. You know, it would stand the reason that we would think that the church is not a place where we pick favorites. That we would should keep our hearts open to those people that are furthest away from God so that we could help them get close to God. To the people that don't necessarily have the same value value as others should have always an empty seat at that table. But I think where the disconnect is is that we think that our relationship with God is about God only common things that I've heard well you know God knows my heart and it's me and him I don't care about going to church because you know I can pray to God at home yeah you can and you should but also if it was just about God then why would Jesus start the church in the first place wouldn't he just speak to your heart and then you could just have your relationship with him and that be it and since I believe Jesus is smarter than us, just maybe, then there's a reason why he started the community, the ecclesia, which we call the church. Because, you know, just maybe he knows a little something better than we do about what it means to serve God. The thing that we get wrong that we forget is that following Jesus is about community. Being a Christ follower is about community. Jesus spends his whole time with people, his whole life. 
everything that we know about Jesus is in the context of community. Because we read about Jesus because other people that were in his community wrote about him. Jesus did not sit and write about himself. Oh, wait, so you thought that he sat down and he wrote these books himself? No. These people were witnessing what was happening. So there had to be people around so that they could write what they were seeing. So everything we know about Jesus is, the, is in the context of community. It was what was going on with people, with people, and that's how we know about him. So Jesus always was in community. And I say jokingly, like, if you want to do what Jesus did, um, go to a lot of parties, eat a lot, and walk a lot. Because those are the three things he did the most. <laughs> Almost every story that we see in scripture, Jesus is at somebody's house eating. True. Read your Bibles. He's at someone's house eating. Or inviting himself to someone's house to go eat. <laughs> in one instance, it was at his own house. It wasn't his house per se, but he rented the venue. So I guess for that day it was his, which is the Lord's Supper. That he rented himself. He like, nah, let's part of us, just us, him and his disciples. But most of the stories we hear about Jesus, he's in somebody's house eating or being invited to someone's house to go eat. Eating is a common theme here. That's why I think Christians like to get together and eat. I was still in the Spanish service, and I, I will extend this over here. Y'all can invite me to eat. I'm good. Barely turned on invitations. There's only one rule, one simple rule that we must follow. If you're going to make plantains, tortones, do not make them with those pre-frozen tortones. Do not. Do not, do not, do not. That's not real. That's not real. That's fake. That's of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. The Lord rebuke anybody. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, you know, they could be, they got to be fresh, you know. I, and I don't mind. I'll peel, the, I'll peel the platanos if I got to, you know, mash them, make them crispy on the outside, soft on the inside, just perfect. That's my only rule. And that, I can be invited at any moment, but if you're going to have tortones, don't have them fake ones. I don't know about those fake ones. I don't know, I don't know where they came from. But it is not of the Lord. It's not natural. <laughs> it's not of God. <laughs> so Jesus spends all this time with people. And the Bible's telling us, well, don't pick favorites. And I was interested to see, well, how did Jesus handle that those situations? So, of course, Jesus gets invited to a party. Many of the parties he got invited to. He was a cool dude, by the way, because he got invited to a lot of parties. Like, people were like, yo, let's invite that cat. He was, like, on everybody's, like, you know, there's all these people, like, when you're going to do an event, you always have, like, the top of the list of the people that you're like, okay, if I do something, I have to put them on the list. And then there's the people that you don't really want to put on the list, but do you put them on the list anyway? Because they might be tied to the person that you really want on the list. And you don't want that other person not to come because the so-so person will not come. So that's that. So apparently Jesus was the you got to have him on your list kind of guy. And everybody had him on the list, so he went to a lot of parties. So he's in a party. This is in the book of Luke, chapter 14, starting in verse 7. Jesus gets to this party. And I can imagine Jesus. He was like the type of dude that probably was just like there. Everybody was, you know, all things were going about. And we noticed something here. When Jesus noticed that some of the guests were choosing the best places to sit, he told this story. 
Well, what do you mean by the best places to sit? Hmm. Get to that in a second. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the most important seat. Because someone more important than you may have been invited. The host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and will have to move to the last place. So when you're invited, go sit in a seat that is not important. When the host comes, he may say, friend, yo, what you doing way back there? Come on down. Come here to a more important place. Then all the other guests will respect you. All who make themselves great will be made humble. But those who make themselves humble will be made great. Our natural tendency is to want to be in places of honor. It's our natural tendency. And Jesus tells the guy who invited everybody. Now he's observing in the party. The dude who threw the party. Jesus says this statement like, dude, when you throw a party, like, you people trying to figure out their best places, don't do that. Now he's talking to the guy who through the party. Then Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite only your friends, your family, your other relatives, and your rich neighbors. Many of us invite our, you know, bosses and supervisors and stuff like that because we might not consider them the rich neighbors, but in this context, they fit the rich neighbors category. We're not really in relationship like that with them, but, you know, we think that it's going to make us be, feel better or look better at the job, so let me go ahead and invite my boss. At another time, they will invite you to eat with them, and you will be repaid. Instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they have nothing and cannot pay you back. But you will be repaid when the good people rise from the dead. So the guests were trying to figure out how to sit by the important people or in the place that they can be seen the most. And then Jesus is saying, why, why are we doing this? Because what we should be doing is that we should be looking to serve those that need to be served, not trying to position ourselves with the people that we feel are important. Some years ago, many years ago, one of my cousins used to work at a stadium formerly known as Pro Player, now known as Hard Rocket, formerly known as a lot of things. It went to like six names. <laughs> Joe Robbie, it was the first name, then Pro Player, then it was then it was Sun Life, and then it was for like one season Land Shark. What the heck is Land Shark? That's a beer, but I'm saying like really, like half a season. It wasn't even a full season. Uh, and now it's known as the Hard Rock. So my cousin used to work there, and he did like I forgot what he did like some kind of like services or something for like the suites, you know, the the area, the suite, and like the you know like the VIP like section. So my brother and I wanted to go to a football game, but we were not in any condition to pay anything close to VIP seats. So we got one of those specials that you pay like $10 and you sit in like halfway to the moon where you can barely see the players on the field. Like, God forbid, you can't even see the numbers. You're like, 
Who's that? <laughs> I mean, you're cheering because you get a general sense of what's going on. You get a general sense, okay, the dolphins are that color. And so you kind of get a general sense, but you don't really know what's going on. And back then, they didn't have the four screens like they do now. It was only the two. So if you were at a certain angle, like at a certain angle, you had to be like this to see the big old screen. Horrible seats is my point. Sorry, I said all of that to say the seats were horrible. And then, but, but since my cousin was working there, he was working in the little VIP section. We're like, yo, if you see some empty seats, let us know. The plan was we get these cheap seats. Somebody's not going to show up. And you're going to let us know. And then we're going to walk ourselves down there and sit in those seats. So like five minutes in, six minutes into the first quarter, he's like, yeah, there's some seats here available, whatever. You guys want to come down? We're like, sure, for real, yes, we will. And since he was the guy that was in charge of letting people in to the VIP section, we're like, it's not like going to ask us for a ticket. So you just tell us what door you're in. We'll walk in and we'll go to the seats. Anybody going to question us? No problem. We sat down. We're enjoying our game. It's somebody else's VIP seats. Whoever that was is the real MVP. And, and I mean, it's great. In the middle of the second quarter, first of all, why do you show up to a game in the middle of the second quarter? Why? Why? What were you doing the whole time? Like, hanging out? Probably. They probably were hanging out. But still. I mean, I'm not mad because, well, I guess I am mad because they came to get their seats. But in the middle of the second quarter, we're there chilling the game. And then we see, we'll see one of the dudes, you know, the security guys. Not the, you know, there's two, there's two ushers. There's the one that are nobodies. But then there's a the guy that has his jackets. If they have the jackets, you know they're important. So the jacket starts coming down. He's walking. And he gets to our row. And he looks. I look at him. I look at my brother. I'm like, oh. I think they came to get these seats. So they walk down. He looks again. We see him motion some people, and we see them start walking down. And we're like, ah. Oh. My brother's like, well, let's just get up. I said, no, no, no. If we get up now, and let's suppose they're not going to get these exact seats, we're going to make it obvious we're in the wrong seats. So what we got to do is we just got to ride this out. When they come, if it's our seats, we're just going to pretend that we didn't know we were in the wrong seats. <laughs> Therefore, giving us a chance that if it's not our seat <laughs> that they want, we can stay here. Because if we get up now, we're going to automatically lose the seat. This is the logic that we went through. Well, that I went through. And so they come down. Bomb, the dude looks. Effective. He's like, uh, uh, can, can I see you guys' tickets? I'm like, oh, this guy. Why are you doing your job so well? Like, don't do your job like this. So he's like, can I see your, your tickets? And we're like, oh, oh, this is, oh, this is 101 section. My bad. I thought this was 201. And we had to get up move. You know, we were going to go to another section do the same thing. My brother was like, no, no, I don't get embarrassed again. And we had to go all the way back up there and see the game in a microscope. This Monday, the reverse happened. I got invited by, by a friend um, to the Heat game, and he's friends with the coach of the Heat, so we had really good seats. But before we went inside, we were outside like, we didn't go into the to the seat area, seating area saying hi to some other people. So by the time we walk in, walk down, I'm starting getting close. And I'm like, oh, man, I think there's somebody in our seats. And I immediately flash back to the moment <laughs> when that happened to me. And I'm thinking, oh, that's what it felt like to be like, yo, why are you in my seat? So I'm walking down. I'm like, somebody in my seat. Now, here's the thing. Like, I get it. I'm not going to knock the hustle. I did the same thing. But this cat, it was him, his wife, and a little kid. And they had like a 
baby's uh, carriage thing, car seat thing, and the baby's bag. Like, homie, you already know you're in the wrong seats. Why are you taking two extra seats all loud and wrong with the baby stuff and all? Like, what you doing? Like, when you're in the wrong place, the last thing you want to do is make a bunch of noise about it. Like, just chill. Like, keep it, you know what I'm saying? Keep it all nice and quiet. Just tranquilo. No, no, no. He's taking up, like, five seats <laughs> instead of, like, he could have just been three. No, no, the dude got five seats taken up. And so I'm walking and I'm like, um, yeah, you're in our seats. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my bad. Listen, and so, but... There had two extra ones because two other people were supposed to go, didn't go. So I'm like, well, you can have that one, um, but then these other ones I need them or whatever. And then I thought, immediately thought about this story of what, of what Jesus is saying. And I'm thinking, that's exactly the situation that was going on there. But then I thought, why do we do that though? Well, on the one hand, you want the better seats because presumably you want to watch the game better. But really, you want the better seats to say you have better seats. Oh, yeah, dude. I was in the one-on-one -on -one section because everybody's taking darn selfies. I'm like, we're watching a basketball game. Y'all guys are spending more time taking pictures of you not watching the basketball game than watching the game. Because everybody, snapshot, section this and that. You know, and then, you know, the no zoom. I see people putting no zoom. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, I'm really this close. I'm not zooming in. I'm really this close. Like, really? Who cares? Apparently, some people care. But why are we doing this? Why, 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 why? I think what it is, is that we search for acceptance. We search to fit inside of some circle that maybe we're not really supposed to fit in. Maybe instead of trying to fit into someone else's circle, we should create our own circles. If we serve, if we love, if we do those things, those things create circles, which usually tend to be the circles we're supposed to be in because we're doing the thing that God told us to do. And we don't have to worry about fitting into someone else's circle. If we create those spaces, then we can navigate those spaces instead of trying to fit into someone else's space. Like, sometimes we want to wait for someone to be our friend when we could take the step of befriending that person. Sometimes we're hoping that someone's accept us and really, it shouldn't matter. The difficulty I think that for many people of faith is that on the one hand, we obviously want to belong to a community and simultaneously we have to be uncomfortable with that community staying how it is. Does that make sense? See, on the one hand, we want to be part of that but on the other hand, being comfortable there is bad. Because what happens is that when we get comfortable, now we get possessive. 
And now we start thinking about that circle, like my circle, not our circle and anyone's circle. So instead of being an inclusive community, we start looking at it like an exclusive club. And then we start making up all kind of rules in our mind of who can belong to the club. Under what conditions can someone be part of this club? And then, many times, who gets excluded from the club, from the circle, are the people that we don't agree with. The people that are more difficult to deal with. The ones that don't necessarily fit into the box. If we just have people in our circle that only benefit us, you know what we call that? We call that networking. You can go to a business lunch and go to a networking seminar and do it there and that's that. You know, ask for a business card. I don't know who carries a business card these days, but you know, some people do, apparently. Ask for a business card and do that. Because that's networking. I'm in it because I'm going to get some benefit from it. I want to be part of that or I want to bring that person here into that because I get a benefit from that. Versus I want to bring that person so that I can serve them. So that I can bring a benefit to them. Ooh, ouch. Hmm. How many of us shape our feelings about community based on what we're not getting from that community? Versus what we should be giving to that community. Oh, I'm not getting this and I want that. So therefore, I think that the community is no good for me anymore because I'm not, I'm not getting what I feel I should be getting. I know you can pray to God later for forgiveness on that one. When it should be about what do I need to do to serve that community. Serve that circle. Circle could be your family, could be your friends. Circle is definitely the church. Open your circle. That's the easy answer. Open your circle. Your circle should be open to the marginalized, to the people that don't fit, uh, to the people who don't agree, whose criteria may not match yours, who are not at your same level, and all the other BS that we tell ourselves about, you know, why we should distinguish between people. Matter of fact, people who you normally wouldn't associate with should be invited into your circle as proof that God changed you. That should be the proof. People that you normally wouldn't associate with, that you naturally don't want to associate with, that would be proof that God supersedes you so that you bring those people into your circle. Sometimes it's people close to us. How many of us got family members? We don't want to have, we don't want to go to their ratchet parties. Huh? Well, I ain't going to go to their party because they be ratchet. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Oh, no, they invited me to the baby shower, but I know they're going to be tore up, so I don't want to go. You know? They inv- but, but, you know, here's the thing. But we say that, but do we invite them? Why don't you throw your own party and invite them then? Huh? Oh, 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 no, we don't like doing that. Because, you know, that's too much work. That's too much work because, you know, we got to deal with all the issues that they bring. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, about the person that's your friend, but your friend needs a lot of help. Your friend is always dealing with a situation. Your friend calls you because they got problems, and you get tired of dealing with your friend because, oh, no, you know, I'm always doing something for my friend. And, you know, it's too much drama. It's too hard. You know, I can't deal with her mess anymore. Oh, oh, interesting, right? Do you understand that Jesus lowered himself to allow you to be in his circle? Because God made himself a man so that you could belong to his family. But you think that you're too high to bring yourself down to allow another human being belong to your family. Ouch. Hmm. When God chooses to relate to us, to humanity, God is choosing, choosing to take a step down. He's choosing to open up his circle. He knows that we do not meet the criteria. He absolutely knows. Duh, he's God. He knows. And yet, and yet, with all the problems that we're going to bring him and do bring him, and all the issues we're going to have, and all of our starts and stops, Along that journey, God still chose and chooses to make his circle available to us. But we don't want to take the time to make our circles available to those people that don't fit our criteria. Sounds like that's a little bit incongruent. Meaning, that don't make no darn sense. Doesn't make any sense. Let me give you the context of the party we just heard about. Here's what happened before we get to that party. We find the story in the book of Mark chapter 2. Jesus went out to the lakeshore and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi slash Matthew, same guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. In their society, the worst of the worst were the tax collectors because the tax collectors would bill the taxes and then put whatever amounts they wanted over that and hustle the people, but the people had no choice but to pay. They were the loan sharks. They were the mafia. You either paid them or you had problems, right? So think of this guy as a mafia don. So Jesus, knowing who this guy is, says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up and followed him. Now, let me ask you two questions about what we don't see here. 
do we see Jesus asking a bunch of questions or giving a bunch of criteria before he invited Matthew to become part of his circle? Anybody see that? Put your hand if you see it. We don't see that. We see Jesus straight up inviting him to be part of the circle and with no criteria before he can belong. Hmm. So then what happens later? Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Jesus went to a lot of parties. Here's a party. Along with many tax collectors. This is the meeting of the, of, the, of the council, of the commission of all the mafia heads, you know. He's like, well, come to my house. Let's go sit with this dude. He invited all the other tax collectors. And this is my favorite part. I love this. And I love this about the Bible. And other disreputable sinners. Do you know what the word disreputable means? It means that they were really, really bad sinners. Like, really bad. Like, their reputation preceded them, like, really badly. <laughs> Oh, in parentheses, just in case that we didn't know, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. It strikes me kind of odd that there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, and yet many people of this kind among Jesus' followers we do not want. That seemed kind of strange to you guys? Oh, Jesus invites sinners. That's what he does. He invites sinners. So the followers of Jesus should invite sinners. Again, that sounds like it would make sense. Jesus calls Levi, calls Matthew. He doesn't give him any instructions. Next thing we see is that Matthew is throwing a party. He invites all his tax collector and sinner friends because he's like, hey, look, hey, I should invite Jesus over here with all my friends because those are his buddies. Jesus says yes to the invitation. He says yes to the invitation. Many of the people that are with Jesus are this kind of people, are this kind of people. The Bible is telling us clearly, right, are this kind of people. The religious people then got mad and they're like who is this cat doesn't isn't he a prophet isn't he a teacher isn't he so-and-so he's a rabbi he's this doesn't he know that he's hanging with sinners sound like us sometimes and Jesus tells them well it's not the healthy that need a doctor it's the sick that need a doctor so if you're healthy, good for you. But I came to heal the sick. I think our problem is that we think that the church is about behavior modification, not heart transformation. See, we think that we can change people's behavior. And therefore, if people's behavior change, somehow that means that their heart got transformed. You know what that's called? That's called religion. 
That is called religion. But Jesus didn't come to institute a religion. Jesus came to restore a relationship. Relationship, not religion. So, when Jesus responds to the religious leaders who are upset because he invites all these people to his circle, I think that there's a couple of keys of, of what he was doing that is important to us that we must understand. First of all, we cannot impose our value system on non-believers because they're non-believers. But we do it all the time. All we should care about is the person's soul. The thing is that we take our own holiness so serious that we make ourselves irrelevant to the people around us. Many times, including our family members and supposedly close friends. And it's because many Christians have more zeal for the truth than love for the sinner. More zeal for the truth than love for the sinner. Meaning, look, I get it. People got messed up stuff in their lives. We got messed up stuff in our lives. That's absolutely true. Absolutely right. No doubt about that. Sin is sin. Clear. That's clear. However, what we miss is what is the motivation of God? What is God's motivation? Is it to point out that someone is wrong? Is it? Is that his motivation? No. For God so loved the world. For he so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all, all that would believe can be saved. Yes, all have sinned, so all fall short of the glory. That's the truth. But that wasn't God's motivation. His motivation was he so loved the world. The problem is that we start treating others around us, especially in the church, like our motivation should be to point out their flaws and how they're wrong and how they're not getting it together when our motivation should always be love. Always be love. First and foremost, always should be about love. Period. Because then we flip what I think is the process of being part of this community, of becoming, being a Christian. We, we, there's a, a, a process that Jesus showed us and we flipped it around. We flipped it around. What Jesus clearly is saying here is that you can belong to the circle. You can belong to the community before you believe. Hey, Matthew, I know you're a sinner. I know that you're a hustler. You're out here hustling these people, doing all kind of shady things. But guess what? Come, follow me. Did he ask him, hey, by the way, do you believe I'm the Savior? Do no, 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 no. We got none of that. He said, come, belong. Then, subsequently, at some point in that journey of him belonging to the community, he believed in Jesus. Believed in Jesus, wrote one of the Gospels, became one of the 12 apostles. Some point along that journey, he believed. 
But Jesus didn't say, hey, well, you can't belong if you don't believe. No, he let them belong first. Then he believed. But here's the problem. At what point did he become? At what point? At what point did he become a Christian? Huh. Well, newsflash. None of the believers, zero, not one single one of the early believers, none of the apostles, none of the disciples were Christians until the Holy Spirit came down. What? Hold up. Wait, wait. But they were following Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. They belonged to the community. But Jesus said, oh, oh, by the way, I have to leave. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And he, the Holy Spirit, he will complete the work in you. The church doesn't make Christians. Pastors don't make Christians. Other believers don't make Christians. The Holy Spirit makes Christians. What we make is community. That's what we do. We build the community so that people that want to belong to the kingdom can belong. And what we hope, because it's the only thing we can do, is that belonging to that community allows people to open their heart so that the Holy Spirit can make them Christians. The problem is that we flip this around. And we think that people need to become something first. They have to fit the standards so they can be in my circle. And then, after that, at some point, they can belong. And we hope that they believe. But we don't see that Jesus modeled that. He modeled letting people belong. Which is why he accepted all those invitations to go to parties and go to dinner. Which is why he invited people straight off the street to be part of the community. But yet we can't tolerate each other. People that supposedly already belong to our community. Here's what's the most troubling. Jesus is challenging the people at the time and also us to change our view of what it means. What does the community mean? First of all, we can't believe that anyone is unreachable, no matter what. Because saying that they're unreachable implies that we are doing something to transform them. Because if we're doing something, of course, we have limitations. So, but if we understand that it's God doing that, then what is impossible for God? Nothing. So therefore, no one is unreachable to God. But we want to say no for that person. Oh, no, they're not going to get it together. They're never going to get it together. That's never going to happen. Yada, yada, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. <laughs> So instead of the church being the most welcoming place, the most welcoming community, 
we become an exclusive community. I think you assume people want to say yes. That people in all walks of life are desperate for God. And that they want to say yes to God. And two, assume that our position should always be one of service to others. Especially those that belong to the community. No matter what their struggle, no matter how difficult it is, no matter where they're at, no matter all any of those issues. And then... We also have to take personal responsibility for our maturity. It can't always be about what I'm waiting to get. Can't be a Christian 20 years and still be acting like you're a baby. You know, Peter Pan never grow up. I mean, really? You've been a believer how long? And you want to be babied? You should be serving and leading other people. So there's a balance of what is my personal responsibility. And then there's the, at the same time, like, Holy Spirit does that work, not humans. If God is present in you, then he can be present anywhere. If God can be in you then he can be with anyone not just the people that I think he should be it or with to close I want to say think Jesus wants to convince us with these words and these stories in the scripture that we can't overthink this. It's real simple. If you believe, live it and talk about it. It's that simple. All of the other stuff, let God do that. That's his job. That's God's work. The other thing is that we have to understand that if we want the life of Jesus, we want the life that he gives us, we have to let go of the things that we hold on to that don't allow him to give us that life that he wants for us. We got to let go. Those obstacles are things that prevent him from giving us the fullness of life that he wants for us. And I think it starts with not being egotistical and only thinking about ourselves and not thinking about how we serve and do well for others. I want you to be on your feet so we can close in prayer. Now, if you feel or have felt that for whatever reason you don't belong I first want to tell you that any feelings of not belonging don't come from God because for God so loved 
the world that all, all that believe in him would be saved. But if your struggle is that you've never crossed the line of faith in Jesus, you're wondering, well, I can't really know if I'm part of that. I don't know what God has. I don't know if he can do it. Again, I tell you that salvation is available for everyone. that's you in any of those two situations today, you can raise your hand where you're at. You can come up to the altar if you'd like. But I, I want to pray for you today so that the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart so that you can give your life to Jesus if that's the step. But so that you understand that nothing that you can do will take away God's love for you. nothing you can do or earn you God's love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your words. We thank you that you decided to step down from your throne so that I can be part of your family. Lord, we thank you that despite my sinful state despite me not deserving you you look past all of that and in your grace decided to offer me salvation freely Father I ask that you help those that are struggling with belonging or that have been looking to fit into a circle and those that have circles and have made those circles closed. Father, I ask in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, that we tear down any obstacle, any favoritism, any barriers of entry, so that all that want to belong can belong. Jesus, I ask that your strength help navigate every situation, every relationship. Lord, help us reach out to those, even in our own circles, that we've excluded family members, friends, people in our community of faith. Because we understand that we can't transform hearts. We just present the gospel and live lives according to you. But you transform hearts and you make Christians. We ask that you guide us, that you direct us, that it all be done under your guidance your direction, your grace, and your power, that you take care of us as we move about this week, Father God, and, and be able to act upon these words that you've spoken. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.